0: Welcome everybody to the Leading in a Climate Changed World podcast from Olivia Mythodrama. In this episode we speak to Anna Leidwriter, director of climate and energy at the World Future Council. In the episode Anna talks about how work in the World Future Council has been redirected during the pandemic, while she and Robin explore links between the challenges of the coronavirus outbreak and the climate crisis. What's the best protection for future situations such as those we are currently experiencing? In terms of leadership, they discussed whether governments are using the opportunity around the coronavirus to work towards a greener future, can markets fix the system, and what role should political leaders take in response to market forces. Anna and Robin explain why a strong democratic system is necessary and discuss how we should work when we're presented with strategic leadership messages such as the voices coming from the science community as well as the countries and cities displaying informed and inclusive decision making. I hope you enjoyed the message and please don't forget to find us on social media and share the podcast just search for leading in a climate changed world. Let's hand over to Anna and Robin.
1: So welcome everybody to our podcast series, "Leading in a Climate-Changed World." And today it's a great pleasure to be talking to Anna Lightwriter. Anna is the director for climate and energy with the World Future Council, and in that role, she develops and carries out advocacy campaigns for a global transition towards one hundred percent renewable energies. Together with her team, she advises policymakers around the world on how to facilitate the transformation by leaving no one behind. Anna has initiated the global 100% RE platform and is a founding member of two energy cooperatives in the north of Germany. Before joining the World Future Council, Anna gained practical experience in the renewable energy industry, as well as in academia, and has lived in Ethiopia, Australia, the Netherlands, and in Brussels. She has authored and co-authored articles and publications on the subject of climate change and renewable energy and speaks frequently at international conferences And lastly, she holds a master's degree in international development studies focused on environmental governance from the University of Amsterdam in the Netherlands. So Anna, welcome, great to talk to you today.
2: Likewise, thanks for having me.
1: And of course, the the big topic alongside climate change at the moment is the coronavirus. And I wonder if you could start by maybe, firstly, just telling us a little bit about the world, Future Council and what it does and how it operates, for those who are not familiar with its workings. And then maybe to make the links between the coronavirus work, climate change, are these two totally different challenges we face? Are they connected somehow? What's been your experience of working with these twin challenges?
2: Well, thank you for giving me that opportunity. And it's uh, great to be with you today. And um, I'm actually looking forward to uh, connect with your audience um, and, see their thoughts, and um, hopefully we come in kind of a, a at least digital conversation about this topic, um, because what we're seeing at the moment is that um, it's a huge dynamic that uh, no one can foresee. So um, whatever we're talking today um, is uh, Friday the 10th of April, and uh, the world may look quite differently next week. So um, I think that needs to be taken into account um, when uh, kind of judging uh, responses and and perspectives. Um, So yes, uh, maybe I briefly introduce uh, the organization that I work for, as uh, some of you may not know us yet. Um, The World Feature Council is a global NGO, a global civil society organization. We are a foundation by law, uh, founded by Jakob von Uckskühl about, uh, what is it now? Uh, 13 years ago, in the year um, 2007, we were founded to um, bring out a voice um, to the world that advocates and um, identifies policies, policy solutions, in fact. So um, we are looking at what policy frameworks had um, brought out certain successes, um, had resulted in uh, sustainability in one way or the other in certain jurisdictions. Um, And then we look at how can this this learnings be transferred and replicated in other countries. Um, So uh, we bring together policymakers, mainly actually parliamentarians, because those are the ones that um, decide over legislations, at uh, Decide Over Budgets and um, see how can they uh, actually learn from each other um, in a a peer-to-peer process. We develop uh, tools, concrete policy tools, with them and for them to enable them to bring about the change um, that they can um, bring about in their um, constituency. So um, we're working on like with these uh, tools and different topics, Um, and I'm I'm heading the climate and energy work. And in particularly, we're looking at policy frameworks that enable the transition to 100% renewable energy. We're doing that in different um, parts of the world and mainly working on the national level Um, and connecting this, um, this policy framework on 100% renewable energy very closely with the SDGs, with the UN Sustainability Goals. Because the transition to 100% renewable energy unveils actually a lot of opportunities to also meet other SDGs. And we're seeing that um, in very different terms. For example, in Tanzania, um, um, the, the government had set the goal for themselves, had set the goal to become a middle income country to reduce poverty and um, by transitioning to one hundred percent renewable energy, they can actually meet this goal so um similar things we're doing in Bangladesh, in Costa Rica, in Uganda, Vietnam, Nepal. So all of these countries are really looking at at learnings, at opportunities um, from other other political decision makers. And um, this work, as you can imagine, has been impacted by the coronavirus quite a lot um, in the past weeks. Um, because the, the energy transition is underway across the world. Um, uh, it had gained speed over the past year, and particularly because the climate, um, the, the climate responses um, had been quite, um, quite, quite popular. Um, we had a global movement, um, especially of young people, really um, reminding the leaders that they need to act on climate change. Um, across the world, which was a great momentum. And um, this has been kind of taken over by the coronavirus in the past weeks and uh, probably months. So um, what we're seeing is that uh, this virus doesn't know any borders. Um, it's, it, it really shows how fragile and vulnerable our health system, um, basically humanity is. Um, and uh, it reminds a lot of people, also political decision makers, um, of the essential work that they need to um, fulfill for their people um, to allow life on this planet. And, um, yeah, this is, this is kind of where we see um, kind of the competition at the moment um, between um, awareness and understanding of uh, the coronavirus versus the, the climate um, or the climate debate. However, um, yeah, I mean, now it's not the time to talk about competition at all. Now it's the time to act um, and, and, uh, and reduce the risks for humanity and making sure, and that's probably my main, um, my main message here, making sure that whatever it takes to, um, to fight the virus, and to allow our systems to to work again not fall back into business as usual from before um, but actually making sure that um, all our economic stimulus packages all our measures that we're taking now to um to to fight the virus is actually um supporting climate mitigation climate adaptation that we're, not, that we're not undermining, but actually supporting climate action with these tools.
1: Right, that's wonderful, thank you. And I'd like to pick up on this opportunity. I mean, it always sounds strange now to talk about the opportunity within the virus when there's so much suffering, and for sure we want to extend our, our heartfelt compassion around the suffering. And, Alongside that, it feels like there is an opportunity to not go back to business as usual when this virus has maybe completed its cycle, let's say, or we've come to to terms with how to live with it. And I'm wondering how you see that, because I've already heard of some governments who seem to be taking advantage of the opportunity, if you like, of the virus being more sensitive to say to ditch their kind of climate commitments and say, well, you know, that's not really the issue now. So, of course, we can't sign up to this and COP26 isn't happening in Glasgow. So, Mm -hmm. there's a little bit of momentum is maybe kind of lost around the the UN Framework Convention for Climate Change gatherings and whether... Well, how you, how you kind of read that in a way? Are more people leaning into the possibility that this is really a, a game changer for the good? Or are people saying, well, maybe now we can marginalize the efforts we we're making around climate in order to focus on the, the virus? How are you seeing that?
2: Well, I definitely see both opinions and um, it's probably too early to lean to one or the other. Um, However, we are doing our best, uh, together with our allies, to make sure that um, those that see this crisis as an opportunity, as a disruption um, to create a better world, um, are winning and um as you said the our compassion and our thoughts are with those still suffering this and uh, there are millions of people around the world um, who are either sick themselves or have um, close um, friends and family who are in this and um, for all of those people it's really hard to imagine that there is a world um, beyond that Um, and i think that's why for now we really need to focus on um, fighting the virus. Um, However, as you you pointed out, and as I said earlier, um, um, especially um, among uh, political decision makers, there are now plans um, and actually billions and trillions of uh, dollars and euros and pounds that are um, now um, unleashed or or, um, actually made available for economic development. And um, we need to make sure that um, this money um, enables people to build a climate resilient economy, to build a climate resilient planet, actually. Um, Our societies are very vulnerable. And um, what we see now in this um, particular crisis already is that um, any kind of protection need to be prepared. We need to be prepared for a crisis. And if we're not, then the worst comes to worse. And that's what we're seeing at the moment. Um, of course, this is um, concentrated on the health system, but um, as we can see, everything is um, intertwined and uh, climate protection is actually, um, yeah, the best uh, preparation that we can, uh, that we can take. Um, to prevent the worst, um, also for our future generations or for our children. So um, this is is very, very critical. And um, I think what we are actually seeing with this massive health crisis and the impact on our society um, is the the role of a state, the role of, um, of, of politics, actually. Um, in the past, and uh, this has been an, um, actually a, um, a conversation in the climate debate for decades now, is um, that markets are, are the best solution, are the best um, one to find solutions. Markets um, can, can basically fix the system that has been an overall um, discourse. And that's why any um, interference, any um, control that uh, a state um, or government is trying to to take or to implement has been fought back. Um, And what we're now seeing is that uh, we need a very, very close collaboration between scientists, states, businesses, and public. We are, we can't leave it to one of these groups and um, uh, um, a stable and, and, uh, um, yeah, a stable state, stable government, um, politics that actually um, work in favor of their people um, are crucial in times where we really need um, a strong democratic system. And um, this is, I think, a key learning for all of us um, that we can also take with us um, for post-Corona times where we have hopefully more um, more, more space to fight the climate climate crisis um, and really make sure that we listen to the scientists, that we take them seriously and um, that we build policy frameworks that are, that are informed and based on scientific decisions, making sure that all voices are heard and um, included in, uh, in building the right, um, the right societal framework in which we want to live together.
1: Yeah, thank you. And I'm wondering if you could now become a little more specific in terms of where are you seeing, as you say, you work more with, with nation states and with governments, so where are you seeing that kind of joined up thinking, if you like? The virus yeah. and climate questions, but also links these different parts of society into a unified response to any of these kind of radical dangers that are on our horizon or, or even closer than that at the moment.
2: Yeah, um, Yeah, so indeed, um, I would probably not go into the um details of how to combine the climate and the corona um responses because that's a uh, way too early um in many countries uh we are still kind of in the in the early phases or in the high peak um um season if you like um where um, measures need to be developed uh, for the corona um, virus so um, i've seen it here in germany where i'm based um, I'm, i've seen it here that uh, there are um, certain um, policy makers coming up now um, being vocal about how we need to make sure that uh, the money that we spend and the policies that we introduce are um, not undermining but supporting a climate action. So we're seeing that um, this um, started um, uh, in Germany to a particular degree also in the European Union. But as I said, this is way too early um, and uh, we need to make sure that those uh, promises are also kept um, and that we, help, that we hold um, our policymakers accountable to this. Um, However, um, as you were asking about kind of where do I see this um, this I call it calibrated corporate um, cooperation um, and uh, where do I see um, informed decision making and inclusive decision making? Um, well, as I said, there are a number of countries around the world um, that had that that were the leaders um, in the climate action. Um, and uh, you see them in the, mostly in the in the industrialized world. Um, New Zealand is one that um, had developed just last year, actually, um, a great uh, climate plan um, to be climate neutral by 2050. Um, unfortunately, um, countries like New Zealand. Um, actually need to be climate neutral much earlier than that. Um, We've seen uh, also the British government coming out with a climate emergency um, plan um, or or a statement and um, there are other cities, actually, this is probably um, where, where we see most climate action um, around the world, especially in the industrialized world, that set um, climate neutrality plans that set one hundred percent renewable energy goals um, and that are way on its way to achieve that um, in my own country. Frankfurt is one of the cities that are that 's leading this um, this movement. Um, we have uh, one of our members in the council um, has done this particular work in Vancouver, um, one of the probably most ambitious and most holistic um, climate action plans that we can see around the world. Um, we see a lot of um, cities and municipalities in Scandinavia. Um, Copenhagen is probably the most popular one, but also smaller ones in Sweden, like Växjö or... Um, Oslo in Norway um, there is a lot of learnings from these um, jurisdictions from from these uh, policymakers and um, what what really struck us um, across the the different examples that you can see um, in the industrialized world is um, uh, no no city, no country can actually tackle climate change without a um, A holistic and uh, coordinated approach, so um, all of these cities and countries they have um, they have built their plans on um, on combined systems so they they looked at electricity heating transport as a combination they are not only tackling um, you know, for example, the electricity sector by by building up lots of uh, uh, solar power, PV <laughs> or uh, wind, but they're actually um, doing sector coupling, um, and this is very very crucial um, because uh, many people are actually looking only at, at, at electricity when they think about the elec- uh, the energy transition. And what we actually need to do is um, looking at the heating and transport sector as well and introducing, for example, large shares of renewable energy in an electrified mobility sector or in an electrified heating sector where we can use the surplus from, uh, uh, from renewable electricity. Um, And this has been done in many countries that requires certain policy measures that enable this coordinated effort. Um, And not all cities can do that because sometimes the political mandate lays with the national government. That's why we're uh, bringing them together in in one discourse. Maybe one last uh, part um, is uh, looking at the global south because there the discussion is quite different. Um, what I was just saying is um, mostly a discourse that we see in the in the global north and in the industrialized countries. Um, in the global south and particularly in countries with uh, very poor infrastructure, the main concern is obviously to eradicate poverty. And um, uh, building up renewable energy frameworks that enable communities, um, municipalities, whole nations to provide full access of clean and affordable energy to its people um, has been the main, uh, the main motivation for policymakers to work with us. And um, we've been doing that in different countries. I named them earlier. And um, what we usually do, and what what um, was very very useful for policymakers, was we bring in scientists again. Policy science. Um, interface we call it the policy science um, communication is very crucial here we bring in scientists we work together in, in a very inclusive dialogue in, in multi stakeholder settings um, we develop 100 renewable energy scenarios together with the policymakers together with grassroots and civil society with scientists with businesses that are present in that countries and um, make sure that they all come together with the joint vision on how this future for their country, 100% renewable energy future for their country looks like. What does 100% renewable energy mean in Bangladesh, for example, or in Costa Rica? And um, we yeah, we do that in, in workshop formats and round table formats. So now everything needs to go virtual, obviously, in times of Corona. Um, and this is this is a challenge, but um, still doable. And um, these scientists then um, do their calculations, do their maths um, to to calculate how how much wind, how much solar, how much uh, geothermal. What are the what's the potential in this particular country? Um, what does the cost to build it up? Um, which are the regions um, in the country that become kind of the power hubs? Um, Where is the the most electricity demand and how does it evolve over time? These are all the questions that we're jointly discussing in this um, inclusive format. And then we come up with a holistic roadmap that tries to tackle all these different questions. And um, yeah, as I said, Tanzania, Costa Rica, Bangladesh, have already worked with us on that and um, have been a great um, or have showed a great leadership in this regard and we're excited to um, kickstart this work in other countries as well.
1: Yeah that's a wonderful array of uh, insights and, and great examples that you've given us Anna. Thank you very much for that and I wonder if we could just maybe towards the end of our time now we could just focus a little bit on Two things. I like one is how has your work in the World Future Council been redirected by the virus? Like that's a question that I think many people are carrying. At a call yesterday with some people who were saying it's not just like I have to do everything online now, but I start to question am I doing the right thing with my life? Like am I redirecting my energy so that I can really make the best contribution that I can make? And I'm just curious whether as a as an organization, the World Future Council feels like, oh, now actually we need to reorientate our Work or our purpose, and also for your working climate, just on a, on a kind of personal slash organizational level. That's one question, and the second question is really about equity. And I'm glad that you started talking about the global south because you know it can also feel like climate was the climate emergency was having a disproportionate impact on the global south. Now we have the virus, which also has a disproportionate impact, or is about to, I think, on the global south and on the poor and on the disadvantaged. And there's this kind of constant reinforcement of inequality through these challenges. And I just wonder, maybe we just have to sit and be with that's the reality, but I wonder if there's anything that you can say to that. It's a fairly stark experience sometimes to notice that every crisis that comes disproportionately impacts, of course, in a way. Those who are poor, disadvantaged, have less educational facilities, less healthcare facilities, et cetera. And just where you see the equity question, because you also said, I think in the introduction that I read, it said we want to bring about a transition to renewable energy, leaving no one behind. And maybe you could just speak to that phrase a little bit also.
2: Yeah. Well, you're making two um, very relevant points and they're very much intertwined. So um, uh, your first question regarding what does the situation currently do to us as a a World Future Council, as an organization? Well, um, as you can imagine, these conversations are just ongoing and um, uh, we are still finding its answers. So um, one of the key questions for us is, Yes, you pointed out, are we still doing the right thing? Um, But not in a way that we may change our topics, quite the opposite. We are rethinking our work in the sense that um, we know that our key audiences, our target group, political decision makers, parliamentarians, are now busy with fighting the virus. And how do we make sure that we can support them we can support them also in the short, short term, but how do we make sure that um, they're not leaving anyone behind um, in the longer term and um, also including future generations and making sure that um, they are building the policy frameworks that can last um, and that has have a future for all generations to come. And um, these are the key questions that we are currently discussing. We are also discussing that with our counselors. We had um, different video conference calls actually with um, our members from around the world. And um, yeah, as I said, there are no clear answers yet. However, um, I think what what holds true in in these situations in particular is listening and being connected. Even though we can't meet physically, being connected and um, talk to each other regularly to make sure that that we can be of of support. Um, One of our key um, kind of more methodology questions um, that we are asking ourselves and that probably many other civil society organizations are asking themselves as well, how do we do effective advocacy work in times of physical distancing? How can we make sure that um, all these video conferences now that are taking place between leaders, between political decision makers, um, uh, that uh, civil society is not excluded of that? Because obviously we're not invited to a video conference call. Um, but how, and, and in physical meetings, in summits, in conferences where these political decision makers usually meet, um, we try to raise our voice. We try to be um, present there. Um, and how does that look like in a in a physical uh, in a in a digital world? However, um, these are questions where we don't know yet um, how long they will be relevant because no one knows how long this um, lockdown will last. And um, we are trying to build a kind of a double system there um, for all our different projects. And also for different parts um, in different worlds, um, because this may change in Europe, while in the global south, this will may, that may still come, um, this this wave. When you
1: say a double system, you mean a, a, a virtual system and a face to face system? In a,
2: way, in a way, we need to go both ways, exactly, yes. Um, and uh, I think there also there is a chance in this, um, because we can reduce our global footprint um, a lot. Um, by reducing our travel um, and um, advocacy work, um, building relationships um, and, and lobby work has been uh, quite, uh, quite intense in terms of global footprint in the past because we've traveled a lot um, to, to meet these people. And that has always been very relevant and important. And um, we now see that um, there might be also other opportunities. Um, your other question that's very much um, in the heart of our work um, is how does the global crisis at the moment impact uh, the global south and in particular probably widens the gap um, uh, of uh, inequality. And that's something that um, is very close to our hearts at the moment um, and where we're trying to work with our, with our um, policymakers, with our network in making sure that this doesn't um, happen. However, um, it's uh, it's very, very difficult because obviously um, there are huge economic interests um, at the moment. Uh, Everyone is suffering. Um, Huge economies, whole industries are are falling apart, basically. And um, we are now um, developing concrete solutions, concrete proposals um, for policymakers to invest the money that they are now um, finding, (laughs) one must say, there are trillions of dollars suddenly occurring. Um, uh, We we try to make sure that this is invested in the renewable energy industry, for example, rather than um, supporting fossil fuel industry to have another few years of life. Um, But how do we make, or making sure that um, this money helps to create jobs in, uh, in the renewable energy industry, in, um, in industries that, uh, that reduce waste um, in our, on our planet, that um, increases energy efficiency, that creates jobs also in rural areas and not only in, in big cities, because <clears throat> that's where people live and that's where people um, need to build um, their livelihoods. Um, So, um, this can only go hand-in-hand with partners. This can only go hand-in-hand with other, um, especially in the Global South, with development partners. So we are working closely, for example, with with a German organization called Bread for the World. We are closely working with um, civil society organizations in the countries, in the Global South, because they are kind of anchored, they are in the debate. Um, and we as a global voice, we, um, we feed the, 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 sh- the, the learnings from other countries, we feed them um, with these kind of knowledge. This is the work that we are currently doing, and um, where we are hoping to have an impact Um, but of course this uh, requires some kind of um, at least midterm thinking because every crisis um, and that's true to the corona crisis as well as the um, the climate crisis um, is a marathon it's not a it's not a sprint (laughs) it's a marathon and uh, we need to hold breath and make sure that we actually Um, that we are there at the right time with the right uh, solutions and um, maybe now it's still a bit too early for many policymakers um, to make long-term decisions.
1: But that's a great note to close I think because I really want to appreciate the work that you and the World Future Council do in bringing those right policies and right guidelines and best practices to everyone's attention and I don't know if there's any final message you want to give but otherwise I think it's been a very comprehensive uh, spanning of the globe that you've managed to do in this 30-40 minutes that we spent together. So I'd just like to thank you for your time and wish you every success in all your endeavors and also to pass our greetings on to your colleagues in the World Future Council which I've known about and many of whom I, I also know personally and have done over the last years and I want to say greetings to them and many thanks to you anna for your work and for your time this morning
2: i will pass them on and uh, thank you very much and i'm looking forward to uh, to this podcast to start a debate with many others um around the globe and uh, particularly in the uk thank you